Most of you know I have a, a love for reading. I now have a book club here at church. I, I read every day. In fact, I have multiple books I'm, I'm reading simultaneously. Almost immediately when I get out of bed every morning, I read as I drink my cup of coffee. And every night before I go to bed, I read something else. I have a book with me almost all the time. I read when I'm waiting for an appointment. I read when I'm on vacation. I read uh, when I'm, um, I'm traveling. I, I read a lot. But that hasn't always been the case. In fact, when I was a child, I didn't like to read at all. In fact, it was so bad, I, I remember in third grade, the, the standardized test we took, my reading comprehension level was alarmingly low. So low that my parents were a bit concerned. But that changed. Uh, it was also in third grade that I discovered comic books and fell in love with reading comic books. We, we had a comic book store in the neighborhood and any time I'd get a quarter, like when I'd lose a tooth and the tooth fairy would leave a quarter under my pillow, I would head over to the comic book store and there was a box of used comic books that you could buy for a quarter apiece. Every time I found a quarter, earned a quarter, was given a quarter, I was buying comic books. I read comic books so much that by the time I was tested again in fourth grade, I wasn't at the low end of reading comprehension, I was actually at the high end of reading comprehension. Now, I know that comic books aren't exactly advanced literature, uh, but I read them so much it actually made a difference. Now, why comic books? What was it that I loved about comic books then and actually now? I still love a good superhero movie. Well, it was the heroes, the superheroes, extraordinary individuals endowed with extraordinary abilities, fighting for the helpless, the innocent, those who are taken advantage of, battling with supervillains, to save the day. Um, I actually still have that uh, old box of comic books. These are some of those 25 cent comic books. I, I love Superman and, and Spider-Man and, and, and Aquaman and, and Batman and, and The Flash. And these are still with me. I mean, I mean, who doesn't love a superhero? I mean, who doesn't want to be a superhero, who, who hasn't at some point in their life, probably in childhood, uh, tied a, a, a beach towel around their neck and pretended it was a cape and pretended to fly, you know? Who of us wouldn't want to, to save the day? Well, the truth is not everybody wants to save the day. In, in fact, some heroes begin as reluctant heroes, uh, more about that later in the sermon. Uh, Joseph Campbell, who's written a lot about the role of a hero in classic literature, says, a hero is someone who has given his or her life to something bigger than oneself. I'm going to read that again. A hero is someone who has given his or her life to something bigger than oneself. Well, by Campbell's definition, the Bible is full of heroes, people who gave themselves to something bigger than themselves. Let's just talk about some of those heroes. You have Noah, the boat builder. You have Joseph, the dreamer. 
Deborah the judge, Samson the strong, and a little stupid, but we'll talk about that another day. Uh, David, the the giant slayer, Elijah, the miracle worker, Uh, Peter, James, John, the the fishers of men, Paul, the apostle, John, the the, the visionary, Uh, Mary, the mother. What, What mother isn't a heroine? But, of course, the top of the list in the Bible of heroes, besides Jesus, of course, was Moses. Few in the Bible are as extraordinary in the way that God used them for the greater good than Moses. Few have had a a more lasting impact on the world than Moses. Now, here's a little bit of trivia for you while we're talking about superheroes. Did you know that Superman, the character, was invented by two Jewish men based on the life of Moses. If you're ever curious, ask me about that. It's one of my favorite stories. So who is this Moses, the superhero? Moses was born the the third of three Hebrew children born into slavery at a time that it was particularly dangerous to be a male Hebrew baby. You remember last week we were talking about a new, a new pharaoh who'd come to power that feared the Israelites, oppressed the Israelites, and even decided it was in Egypt's best interest to exterminate the Israelites. And so Pharaoh had given an order. Every time a male was born among the Hebrews, he was to be thrown into the Nile to be eaten by crocodiles or to be drowned. That's when Moses was born. That's in the reality into which Moses was born. Well, Moses' mother was smart. She hid the baby. She took a basket and covered it with tar and then placed Moses, the infant, into the basket and set the basket in the river near where Pharaoh's daughter bathed. You know how the story goes. She, Pharaoh's daughter found Moses. She, she took him Uh, into her own home, Pharaoh's home, to raise him as her own child. He was raised in Egyptian royalty. I'm sure he learned the customs, the religion, the language, the style, the dress of the Egyptian people. As Moses got older, he, he must have become aware that he was a Hebrew. He must have become aware of the plight of the other Hebrew people. One day he was watching the the slaves, the way they were being treated, and one in particular who was being beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster. Moses reacted. He, He attacked the taskmaster. He killed him. He buried him in the sand and then realized immediately what he had done. He fled Egypt in fear and went to the land of Midian, where his life was again transformed. He married a Midianite woman named Zipporah, and he became a shepherd in the desert, in the mountains. Now, now pay attention. This is important for the story. Moses has three distinct identities. He's a Hebrew. He's a, he is part of God's covenant, an Israelite, and the child of slaves. He's a son of Egypt, raised, we think, maybe even like a prince 
He speaks Egyptian. He knows the Egyptian court. And now he's a Midianite, immersed in their culture, married into their culture, and he's become a shepherd wandering the land of Midian. Very different aspects of his life and his identity. Well, one day Moses is, is as a shepherd uh, with his flocks near Mount Horeb, and something unusual happens. He sees a bush burning, but not burning up, a flame, and then a voice speaks to him. It says, Moses, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of the land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land full of milk and honey. Now the Israelites' cry of injustice has reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them, so get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses recognized this was a, a, an unusual circumstance, to say the least. He knew that he was in the presence of holy. He took off his shoes because this was holy ground. He knew this voice. He had never heard it before. But he realized this is the voice of God, that he was in the presence of God. How would he know that? I mean, who's, who's heard the voice of God? What, what does the voice of God sound like? A number of years ago, an, an animated movie was made uh, based on this story called Prince of Egypt. And I've heard that one of the most difficult parts of making that movie was deciding how will God's voice sound? How will we do God's voice? And apparently there was an attempt to, to pull together many voices, young, old, children, uh, people of every age, people of different ethnicities and, and uh, different accents, and to, to merge all of that into a single voice. And they just, they just couldn't make it work. So instead, they chose Val Kilmer, who happened to have played Batman in the 1990s. That has nothing to do with today's message, but just one more superhero for you. But notice again, what did, what did God say to Moses? Here, here are the specific words. I've seen my people oppressed. I've heard their cry of injustice. I know about their pain. I've come to rescue them. There's some, some big theological words we use sometimes to describe God. One that maybe you've not heard is omnivoyant. It means God is all-seeing. And God said to Moses, I've seen my people oppressed. Another is omniscient. We say that God is omniscient, all-knowing. God said to Moses, I know about their pain. We say that God is omnipotent, all-powerful. God said to Moses, I've come down 
to rescue them. Well, those are the big theological words, but there's a few other things I think this passage can tell us about the character, the heart, the nature of God. God pays attention. God knew what was happening to his people. God cared about their suffering. God cares about justice. This was not right. God cares deeply about justice. God heard their cries, just as God hears our prayers. This is a compassionate God. This is a caring God. And this is a God who acts, maybe not on our schedule, maybe not as quickly as we would like, but in God's timing, God acts decisively. And many look to this passage and others to point out a a, a characteristic of God that God seems to be dispositionally inclined for the plight of the poor. The liberation theologian Gustavo Gutierrez writes, the poor person is someone who is treated as a non-person, someone who is considered insignificant. The poor count as statistics. They are nameless. But even though the poor remain insignificant within society, they are never insignificant before God. God's love excludes no one. Nevertheless, God demonstrates a special predilection toward those who have been excluded from the banquet of life. Gutierrez and others have coined an expression, God's preferential option for the poor. Now, let's be clear here. Uh, Moses didn't just happen to stumble upon something unusual and like, I, I should see what's happening. God didn't just happen to pick some random burning bush. And God isn't there just to tell some random person what God is about to do. God is about to move decisively. God is about to act in a big way. God is about to to release something into the world that is new and different. And God is going to do it through Moses. Exodus 3.10, Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Or in the words of the old spiritual Go down, Moses, way down to Egypt land. Tell old Pharaoh, you know the words, let my people go. Now, as I said before, not every hero is eager to become a hero. There are some heroes who initially resist taking on the the role of, of hero, Uh, And and in fact, resistance is the most common pattern in Scripture. Almost everyone that God calls to do anything begins with saying, uh, no, not me, I'm not the right man or woman, I don't have what it takes, please go find someone else. That's not limited to Scripture, is it? How often in life are potential heroes or heroines initially reluctant to take up the mantle? How many potential heroes or heroines fail to become heroic? 
because of resistance. How many heroic deeds have been left undone because of resistance to the call? And just think how desperately we need heroes at this moment in history. Moses had some very clear excuses. If, if we read a little further into the story, verse 11, who am I to go to Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt? If we turn to the next chapter, verse 1 of chapter 4, what if they don't believe me or pay attention to me? If we turn to verse 10, I've never been able to speak well. And then finally, in an act of desperation in chapter 4, 13, Moses just says, please, Lord, send somebody else. But every step of the way with Moses and with others in Scripture and I believe with each of us, God offers assurance. You won't be alone. I'll go with you. I'll help you. I'll provide whatever you need to succeed. I mean, this gets repeated over and over and over in Scripture. God calls someone. They resist. God says, I'll be with you. I'll provide what you need. And God uses people, people like you and me, people like the heroes of Scripture to change the world. And it doesn't stop in Scripture. God has been doing it ever since. To people like St. Francis and St. Clair of Assisi, Joan of Arc, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John and Charles Wesley, Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, John Lewis, Dorothy Day, Mother Teresa. And by the way, throughout the history of this great church, God has used our own members to heroically make a difference in this community. And God hasn't stopped. Earlier in the service, we commissioned Stephen ministers who will be heroes and heroines in people's lives. This is what God does. God sees our suffering. God hears our cries. God knows the needs of the world. And then God picks people like you and says, go. I, I'm about to do something, and I'm going to do it through you. The author Anne Lamott says, my personal belief is that God looks through her Rolodex when she has a certain kind of desperate person in her care and assigns that person to some screwed up soul like you or me and makes it hard for us to ignore that person's suffering. So you have to ask, when, when, when God decided that the Israelites needed saving and she went to her Rolodex looking for a potential hero or heroine, well, why on earth would she pick Moses? He was long gone from, uh, from Egypt. He, he was way out in the mountains in Midian. Why Moses? Moses, born of Hebrew slaves. Moses, raised in Pharaoh's own household, taught the Egyptian language. Moses, who, who knew Intimately, the land that he would be called to lead, the Israelite people? Of course God called Moses. Who better than Moses to fulfill this particular task? The, the events of his life, the, the, the nuances of his identity made him the perfect candidate. 
What about you? Is it possible that your particular life experiences, your particular education, your particular abilities, your particular circumstance make you the perfect person, the hero or heroine to do the task that God is calling you to do? What unique set of abilities, talents, disposition are the perfect match for the needs of this particular moment. Now, I'm, I'm guessing most of us have never had a, a burning bush moment where we've seen a sign, where we've heard an, an audible voice from heaven. I, I haven't had that. I, I've experienced God's call to be more like a, a nudge. It seems to be that God works that way for most of us, a whisper a hint, uh, uh, an idea that, that we just can't seem to let go of. How, how's God nudging you? What, what whispers have you been ignoring? What need is there in the world that God wants you to do something about? And why are you resisting? Are you waiting for a more convenient time? Are you waiting for God to pick someone else? The question is, will you pay attention to God's call or not? Will you let God use you to be someone's hero or, or won't you? Now there's more to the story. You, you probably know more details of the story. Moses relents. He goes back to Egypt. He goes straight to Pharaoh. He tells him, God says, let my people go. Then comes a series of unbelievable, terrible, tragic plagues that God sends to Egypt. The, the Israelite slaves are released. They flee. They, they go through the Red Sea, walking on dry land, and Moses leads them out into freedom, out in the desert, with their eyes fixed on what was ahead of them, a promised land, freedom, a new identity, a land flowing with milk and honey. But remember, this story begins in the heart of God. It begins with a God who hears, a God who sees, a God who knows, and a God who acts in response to human suffering. And it begins when some human, some person, is willing to be used by God, willing to listen when God calls, and willing to respond to that call, trusting that God will fulfill God's promises. Before we end the story, we, we should probably point out that this wasn't the last time God would, would send a deliverer to rescue imprisoned people, people in slavery. In many ways, when you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus is portrayed as the new Moses. That slavery is to sin. But that there is a promised land. A kingdom of heaven. A, a, a life of abundance, Jesus said, that we are invited to be part of. Jesus is the new deliverer. and He invites us to follow him to be part of his mission in the world, to change the world. He calls, 
will you follow?